the just because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Quality of Life Radio, hosted by Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Award-winning author and journalist Jane Mursky Leader is joining us on Big Blend Radio's Quality of Life show today to discuss the revised and updated second edition of her book. It's called Dead Serious, Breaking the Cycle of Teen Suicide. Jane published one of the first books for teens about suicide and depression, and now for the first time in 30 years, she released a completely revised edition that has new chapters on bullying, LGBTQ teens, and suicide prevention programs, and also reflects today's cultural, technological, and social landscape in a world that is constantly changing. It is indeed. Uh, there's, this is such a timely book, and I think it has been timely for years, uh, but now uh, as you watch what's going on in the news and across our country and around the world, I think this is even more important. Uh, her book, Dead Serious, is available as an ebook and paperback on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, and all other major online book sites. You can also go to Jane's website at janeleader.net, and that's L E D E R, janeleader.net. And we're also excited to have education expert Bobby DePorter back on, uh, sitting in with this, on this conversation. She is the co founder of Supercamp and president of Quantum Learning Network. Welcome, Jane. How are you? I'm raised very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, and, and welcome back, Bobby. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. You know, I, I think Jane and I know Bobby will confer with, that, with this as well, Nancy, that um, it's so timely right now to get something out there that not only adults can grab their hands on and get some information but for teens to be able to read and have it in a language that they can actually bite into and understand and take it being the way you've written Dead Serious. It's um, like you're, you're talking with them and giving them responsibility, basically, um, responsibility in that they, you're talking to them as adults and that they, they feel like they can do something. You're giving them empowerment with this. That was my intention. That was my intention 30 years ago, too, because at that time there were very few books about teen suicide, and I don't think there were any that were written directly for teens, and I thought that it was important and it worked the first time, meaning that it got into the hands of a lot of people, some of whom I'm sure desperately needed this kind of self-help and advice. And uh, why why change something that was workable in the first place? And mm-hmm. because I had the opportunity to speak to a lot of teens, my son is no longer a teen, but doing multiple, multiple interviews this time around, I think I was able to capture their stories and their voice, and I think that's going to make this uh, an attention grabber and something that kids will be able to relate to. 
I, I really appreciate you writing about this. I know um, it wasn't that long ago that we reunited with some friends of ours. Uh, Nancy and I lived mm-hmm. in South Africa for many years. And, you know, a very, very close friend of mine, he was like my brother growing up. Um, the day we reunited with friends, I mean, in South Africa, everybody left and <laughs> everybody kind of locked in touch and people moved around a lot back in the uh, mid-90s. And finally we found him. And unfortunately, the day we reunited was also happened to be the day that my friend took his life. And he's oh. my age, which um, he's in his early 40s. And... None of us can even understand why. He was no. such a talented individual, sweet, fun, and it's just so hard to understand when the youth do take their lives. And I think sometimes we feel like, oh, they'll get past it, and I think that's something that you really cover too, is just like they may have an episode, someone may have an episode of, of saying, I'm going to you know, commit suicide. I actually had a friend who did that and then later had to go through a series of things because you think, oh, I'm fine now. Um, but isn't, there's always that, that warning light that should be there that it's possible at any time, no matter if, the, if their mood is swinging up or low. Well, you know, first of all, your very sad story about your friend is one that I hear over and over and over again. It's either a friend, it's a neighbor, uh, you know, it's a friend of a friend. I don't think I've spoken to anybody in the last year who does not know of someone who took his or her own life. It's a very, very sad, sad statement. In terms of warning signs, um, they're all over the place. It's just that it's difficult because adolescence is such a choppy time to begin with that some of the warning signs are often ones that uh, regular happy teenagers experience, whether it's shutting themselves in their rooms, whether it's not being willing to communicate with their parents, whether it's hanging out with kids and not doing a lot uh, with homework, um, whether it's, you know, eating a little less or eating a little more. So it's very, very hard, and parents and teachers, and especially other kids, need to be really, really focused on what's going on with their friends, because the truth is the kids talk to other kids long before they will talk to a parent or a teacher or another Mm. adult. So Kids really are on the front line here, but I think what's important is to make it really clear that a friend is not responsible for saving the life of another friend. A friend is responsible for connecting with a trusted adult who can then connect to an expert in the field, and a friend is responsible for breaking the code of silence if necessary even if a friend says, please don't, you know, I'm holding you to this. This is, you know, something between the two of us. I don't want you to share this information. But it is important for teens, for people like you and me, to understand that it's not our job to save somebody. We don't have the ability to do that. We don't have the training to do that. But it is crucial to identify an adult, whether it's the science teacher, whether it's a clergy person, and then that person needs to then serve as a connection to somebody who is an expert in the field. 
Absolutely. I want to bring Bobby in on this because, Bobby, I know uh, Super Camp's been going uh, on for over 35 years. You've trained millions of students and also preteens and teens, and then also uh, you also train teachers through Quantum Learning Network. Have you seen a change through the last, you know, 15 years in regards to um, the bullying epidemic? Has it has it gotten bigger? And um, you know, through the training you do, especially through the Eight Keys of Excellence at, at Supercamp, um, are you seeing that really that there has to have this conversation that, that this kind of thing has to be talked about and um, that friends and uh, you know their peers, everybody has to have a, like a better, stronger communication. System. That Yes, I totally agree that that is the key because when they, uh, teens come to our program, uh, we put them in teams and with a team leader with them. And for them to open up and start talking and hearing stories from other teams, then they feel connected. You know, everybody wants to belong to someone and feel accepted. And then when they have that experience, they open up more. And then some of them you know, have shared things that we then send them to the counselor to, you know, to talk with because that that is it to get them open up and to and to tell another person. Hmm. I think that's the the only way. You know, it's from one human to connect to the other one, to um, to be. There's got to be someone who's going to take it and say okay, let's get to why, what's happening, let's see what we can do, um, you know, and, and how to stop that, you know, that downward spiral thing that starts happening when somebody feels bad about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it has to be another human that, yeah. that steps and, in. And I think what's interesting, if you don't mind me jumping in, um, in terms of bullying, I think there's a bit of a misconception out there, which is that, it's so much worse because most of it takes place on social media. And according to the research, the reality is that face-to-face bullying, whether it's at school, on a school bus, in the neighborhood, is still more prevalent than on social media. The difference is that in the past, when I was growing up, probably when you were growing up, as soon as we got into the front door, we were safe and we didn't have to deal with being a victim of bullying. Today, it's almost impossible because of texting and social media, but there's really no place to run. There's no place to hide. And, of course, a parent would say, okay, just, you know, close your accounts on Facebook. You know, don't read your text messages. But kids are just plugged into social media, as I'm sure you know, and to rip that away from them, even if they are suffering as a result of it, is almost impossible. So um, mm. I think, you know, I think it's important uh, that we, we understand that. And I talk about in the book, I write about actually, all the excuses that people, the kids give for not jumping in and making an attempt to prevent bullying if, in fact, they're witnessing it. And often it's the fear that they'll be next. So it's mm-hmm. easier, safer yeah. to keep them to keep their mouths shut because they don't want to be the next person down the totem pole that's going to be bullied. 
you know, I I totally get that. And sometimes, you know, I look at today, especially looking at the world of politics and how our leaders react <laughs> and how they talk to each other. Um, if our children are supposed to be looking up to that, then we are just from the very top setting a really horrible example. Hmm. I think that's what's so important about what you've done, Jane, with your book, Dead Serious, and also, Bobby, with what you do at Supercamp, the Eight Keys of Excellence and and teaching, because the only thing that can overcome that is about a child getting the skills, getting those, um, you know, the strength, the um, confidence to be able to make decisions. And I know that they're growing. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. And that's the hard part about this is children's brains are still developing, you know, and their hormones are fluctuating and all yep. these things are happening. And so it's really, and they're impressionable. And so that part I think is so important about developing, uh, for them to develop who they are as fast as possible so that they have those uh, decision-making, uh, you know, I'm going to take a stand on this or I'm not. I look at what's going on now with the number of shootings and school shootings, and we just interviewed a young girl, Sydney Brown. She's a musician out of uh, San Francisco. And we were just talking about this with her. What's it like being a teenager in school? And she says, well, we just had a lockdown. We're scared, but we create our own networks amongst friends about what's going to happen. And I think that we have to give these children tools so that they can do something, so that they're not living in fear, even though they're, it's scary times. No matter how you look at it, it's, they should be fearful um, but they should have those tools behind that. I mean, Bobby, wh- how are you seeing oh, with all the kids that uh, you train at Supercamp and, and teachers and, you know, dealing with everybody that much, are you seeing that conversation shift in how to protect students and how to teach them how to, take that, how to protect themselves? Well, one is starts with knowing who they are. You know, you had said that, and it's going really deep in what are their values, what are their strengths, and getting to that place where they feel good about themselves and that I am enough so that the behaviors aren't just trying to fit in, doing whatever mm-hmm. it takes to fit in, and just knowing who they are and their positive values and then finding others who fit that. And then, as you say, giving tools, because what we find, what we teach at our programs, so many students say, why didn't anybody teach that to me before? Why didn't anybody have that com- you know, conversation with me before? And that it means so much, we assume that they know what to do or where to go or how to react. Mm. And it really helps to have that conversation and go deeper and give them specifics about it. Mm. Jane, that's where your book comes in, too. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, Bobby, do you do anything with what folks call active listening? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's a big one. Because they assume mm-hmm. that they are listening and then uh, what the shift is. And then when they're active listening to 
others and really getting what they're saying and what they need to pay attention to. Hmm. I remember when my son was young and uh, I was single parenting and having a little bit of a (laughs) difficulty, and I took something called Parent Effectiveness Training, or PET, and at the base of that program uh, was this whole concept of active listening, which I have tried to not only incorporate in my own life, but to write about as often as I can so that all of us can actively listen, listen to somebody else so that we try not to be judgmental. We try not to blame. We try not to solve somebody else's problems for them, which I'm sure you can agree is something we're always very good at. And <laughs> we show that we're listening by our body language and, uh, you know, all of these little clues and cues that we can give because if somebody knows that they are being listened to, if somebody knows that they are cared for, that can really make the difference uh, between someone who may be depressed or anxious, uh, suicidal, and may just move forward with a plan or somebody who knows somewhere deep inside, my friend does care about me. He is listening. He's trying not to talk me in or out of something. And as I said earlier, I mean, that can really be the tipping point and make all the difference. Mm. We talk about that with parents. Um, One of our tips is talk less, listen more. And then the other one is, you know, (laughs) listen to, well, really trying to understand what they're saying and have the, their child feel understood in versus fix it. You know, the student, when, the, when they open up and, okay, here's a problem, and then they come up with an advice or fix it or here's what you need to do, they first need to uh, get that feeling that, oh, you really care, you really understand where I am. So that mm. is really important. And there's this, tech, yeah, this technique that I'm sure you're aware of called mirroring, where in fact and it, it plugs right into what you're just which you just said, which is that you try to reflect back as if you are a mirror what your child or a student or whomever says to you, and you don't misinterpret it, you don't try to spin it. So I think what you just said, or if I'm hearing you correctly, and then that gives the person an opportunity to say, yeah, you know, she really gets it, or... No, that's not exactly what I'm saying, and then that person can clarify. So you can go back and forth, but I find that in difficult times and situations where feelings are right there at the top, uh, if we can just slow it down, take a few breaths, count to ten, and then utilize this technique called mirroring. Uh, You know, I personally, and I know the kids that I've spoken to and teachers have found that very successful. It's not Mm. easy to do, but it can be very successful. (laughs) It's a good lesson of patience for all of us. (laughs) It really is. And, you know, it's a a good, I think that's something that should be done in all communication. You know, it's interesting, Jane, um, your life also as an award-winning author and journalist. I want to say your other books are Brothers and Sisters, How They Shape Our Lives. 
the sibling connection, and thanks for the memories. Love, sex, and World War II. Both. Woo, woo. <laughs> woo. Um, <laughs> but, it, but you seem to, uh, also with Dead Serious, I know you wrote that 30 years ago, um, you know, dealing with your brother's suicide as well, um, which I'm, I'm so sorry you went through that. And, you know, we understand, and um, I think so many people have been through something like this and need to have to read something that, that identifies with them. It is like, you know, the, your book is a mirror, you know, for, for folks going through this. But it's very interesting how your um, career seems to be in the world of communication and understanding people. Do you think that came from, you know, the connection with your brother, or is that something that's always been at the forefront for you? Well, you're very astute. You get a gold star. Um, I'm mirroring, man. So- I'm mirroring. <laughs> You know, here's what happened. I wrote the first edition of Dead Serious some 30 years ago. It was much closer to the suicide of my brother. It was cathartic for me. It was a way in which I could get or begin to get some idea of possibly why this has happened and what I could do about it and my reactions of sadness and anger and guilt and how those are common reactions that are shared by everyone. But when I finished writing that, I thought I'd put the whole subject to bed. I put it neatly into my back pocket and was ready to move on to something else. And of course, what did I move on to? I wrote, I moved on to a book about siblings and brothers and sisters. So as you expressed, I was continuing to investigate communication, what we do right, what we do wrong, and, uh, you know, beyond that, revisiting the whole situation, and in this time taking a look at my own life and my own relationship with my brother and another brother and my sister, and trying to better understand what went on in our family, and then to expand that and take a look at what might go on between brothers and sisters and other families as well. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'm all about relationships and about communication. Mm, I like that. I think it's important in in this day of age, you know, um, people feel they're they're separated yet more, more connected in a way with social media, and then sometimes that that takes away from the actual connectivity. There's like a, it's it's almost like fake fake community. <laughs> I mean, communicating, but it's not because we are able to reach out. And I think that's we're in this time of redefining communication in a way, wouldn't you think, Jane? Well, you know the 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 world of technology and of social media, etc is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, yeah. on the one hand, it's great. I mean, we can talk to and contact and gather information in ways that we never could before. On the other hand, I don't know how many times you've gone out to dinner, for example, and you're sitting at a restaurant and you look at the people around you and everybody's on their cell phones. And mm-hmm. I'm asking myself then, why are you guys together? Why did you make this effort to go out together when there's absolutely no face-to-face communication? Um, You know, and I'm older, and yes, I use a cell phone, and I text and do all that stuff. But when I'm in a social circumstance, um, I'm interested in communication and looking at people and talking to them. 
so, you know, as I said, uh, technology is wonderful, terrific. On the other hand, it's not so great. So, um, and I think in terms of, you know, teens, it's very easy to feel anonymous in a way because you're on this machine and you're not dealing with somebody one-on-one in person. And it allows teenagers to say and do things that they would never think of doing or saying Mm. in real life. Uh, It gives them kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's a a protection, if you will, or Mm. a curtain. And uh, that's one of the reasons why some of these kids are not particularly nice to other people while they get themselves into groups and conversations about subjects that, you know, are way beyond them or beyond their maturity levels. So, um, yeah, uh, I love social media. I love the Internet. Uh, On the other hand, I sure as heck wish people would put their phones down and talk to each other in person. I think that, you know, when I look at the social media thing, if I was raising a child, I'd be very, I'd probably be paranoid about it, you know, because you really don't know who you might be talking to and you might think you're talking to another person your age and you're not really, you know. I think there's a real danger in social media if um, there aren't any really good parental guidance and control. Mm. Yeah, Bobby, what happens? I know it's super camp. You, you take their phones away for a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, is, it, yeah. is, that, is that something? 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. That happens there because, I mean, there are tools there, um, but just like... I think what Jane was saying, too, it's that curtain. And then all of a sudden when the kids are all together in reality, that's when suddenly you have to almost I don't, man up and say, do what you just said. And that's where some very dramatic and, and deadly things can happen. Um, and so people can create who they are on the Internet. They can create, I'm not in, you know, dealing with depression, or I am, and it can be totally opposite. So I think it's about that that empowerment that that it doesn't it go back to teaching Bobby at the end of the day is like it goes right back to the conversation of knowing who you are and understanding social media and learning what's above or below the line. I know you like love <laughs> to teach kids about that. Yes. <laughs> you know when when students arrive and they turn in their phones, there's a lot of emotion on that. Some of them can hardly get it out of their hand to turn it in. And, you know, by that 
evening, certainly by the next day, they they talk about that, wow, we're getting to know each other and they're looking each other in the eyes and and it's such a different world for them that we do give their phones back for 20 minutes a day for them to call their parents, but some of them are texting friends. We don't know what they're doing. But then, uh, you know, a few days in that um, when they have cell phone time, a lot of students don't even come for cell phone time. They stay with the activity and what's going on with their friends. Or we hear from parents, I haven't heard from my child. And it's like the student says, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing I'm doing things, you know, and that's a whole new world for them. But we also do talk to them about appropriate use of technology, you know, mm-hmm. why we have them there and they're off of it for a few days. Then we can have those conversations about a the impact of it and appropriate use. Hmm. Jane, with social media, isn't what what kids are saying on there, doesn't that sometimes clue give us clues into something bad is gonna happen? You know, gives us a warning sign what what they're saying, whether or not it's true. I'm, and it's I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um what I was going to say is that whether it's on social media or in person, that most people who are suicidal, thinking about suicide, severely depressed, suffering from anxiety, depression, do give warning signs. They do let people know that uh, they are hurting and that they might do something in terms of harming themselves. The problem is, or the sad fact is, that many of us, particularly teens, often laugh that stuff off. They think, Mm -hmm. ah, come on, you're just looking for attention. You're not really thinking about taking your own life, you're not really depressed, you know, you're just bummed out a little bit because you just broke up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you didn't do well on that test. And it's so common, and I've heard stories over and over and over again about these missed opportunities because instead of taking kids seriously, uh, they think it's a joke. They think Mm. it's looking for attention when, in fact, it is looking for help, it's reaching out, it's looking for, as we go back to that subject, it's looking for someone to listen and to take them seriously. So um, we should never just laugh off someone who says, I'm thinking about killing myself. Um, Mm. Even though a lot of us say that on occasion, just because we're upset, uh, I usually say to somebody, do you have a plan? And if someone says yes and they're able to describe what it is they would do, then I know things are serious and, uh, you know, I would immediately from that point seek professional help. Hmm. What about also um, the LGBTQ community coming out or hiding it because that also both Hmm. sides will create anxiety, depression, and Maybe they're not being accepted at home as well because, you know, what's going on at school versus at home could be two different things. And there could be, you know, physical abuse. uh, There could be sexual abuse. There could be bullying even at home. People don't always know what's going on behind closed doors. So are there warning signs from that? You know, um, I just really just look especially at the LGBTQ community because I think that so many suicides are coming from that from 
trying to be who you are and getting bullied for it, regardless whether it's school or at home. Absolutely. Uh, LGBTQ teens are four times as likely to attempt suicide. Uh, You know, the figures are staggering, and you were absolutely correct when you talked about non-acceptance within the family. And Mm. in some of the newer studies and surveys of LGBTQ teens, the number one issue that they mention is not being accepted by their family. And yes, the number or the percentage of LGBTQ teens that are homeless is significantly higher than straight kids, but it's Mm. not because they just say, oh, all right, I'm cool, I can, you know, I don't want to be with my parents, I'm independent. It's not that at all. It's often that they've been kicked out of the house and that they have nowhere to live or that they are shuffled around from, you know, foster care from one home to another or from one facility to another. And, yes, the incidence of drug and alcohol abuse is higher. I mean, all of the problems, prostitution, sexual uh, you know, sexual, sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS, the whole shebang. But it's not because these kids are bad. It's not because, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to survive. They're trying to do anything mm. they can. So just imagine all of the struggles that we all have during adolescence and then pile on top of that the issue of gender and sexual identity. And it's tough. It's Mm -hmm. really, really tough. But what I was most impressed by, I think, was how resilient these kids are and how with support and foundations and their own chat rooms and their own suicide hotlines that are dedicated specifically to kids who are exploring their sexual and gender identity, that most of them, as this one foundation says, um, understand that it does get better. So if they Mm. can just navigate the choppy waters for those couple of years during adolescence, the the vast majority of them are going to go on and lead happy, uh, self-satisfied, productive lives. You know, I just think I feel really, really, you know, sorry for these kids because I, I think it's overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, and all they're trying to do is be who they actually are. And and sometimes you get the whole block of religion thrown at you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, a lot of times I think the parents are, are probably more guilty of treating their children badly than kids around them. I've seen kids be very supportive of, of other kids regardless of whether they're gay, straight, or whatever. You know, and it's or color, it, or yeah. color you know, and and then you see the parents being the ones who are not accepting, and you know, and I don't. It's really hard to understand. Yeah, <laughs> I I struggle to understand that, but you know, I always think about nature where the the perceived weakest one is the one all the others pick on, and I, I always felt like we were supposed to, to be better than that. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All if if it were so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think about 
I think about ahead, the Bobby. core and what we have too, because I think about to my grandmother and her mindsets, and mm-hmm. then I think about my parents and their mindsets, you know, and there were so many shifts for that. And then to mm. me and my children and my grandchildren, and some of it you had mentioned religion, there we were taught some things, and mm-hmm. my grandmother, and so I have a very open, accepting, inclusive, how can I support you mindset. And um, deep down cores, it's like, you know, shifting from what my grandmother told me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then it's, it's like uh, I'm, yeah. I'm really accepting now. And just can somebody understand that there is some type of core to get over from generations ago. Mm. And that shifts, beautiful shifts have happened. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And and that's a disconnect in some ways where something will pop up and it's like, I am so accepting now. And in my childhood, this is something that was drilled into me and I'm beyond it and just, just it's there, that's all. I You can get beyond it, but you can't change what happened to you when you were a child. Yeah, yeah. you can't. And that's the thing, it's, and I think that's the hardest thing. And, and I think it's important that kids know that they're, no matter what, you're not to blame. You are the innocent, and you are able to take control of your life at the, from day one, you know, as best as you can as you develop and grow. And I think that's that's what's so important about what you're both doing is empowering the youth because they're the ones who have to move forward. You know, I look at also um, kids that end up in foster homes and mm. end up within the system. The only thing that gets them through is learning survival instincts and having – you know, learning to, and, and it's hard. That, that situation is so difficult on kids. And I go, it like, really is. but it's, there's this flame inside. And to have the education and to have anything that can empower them to take that one step forward instead of that one where it could become deadly for them, I think that is so important. That's why I think, yes, there's things that have been horrific in, in human history, no matter where we are in the world. And it's true. You've got to make that shift and make those changes, and you've got to think about, well, probably your grandparents got through, went through way worse than what we think, and they have their viewpoints, and maybe their viewpoints are their only comfort zone, you know. But I think the education of the children so that they can take control of their lives and, and their reactions to things is so crucial. It's really crucial. Jane, is that, you know, really, you know, when you read Dead Serious, I mean, you really give them – all the different examples, what to do if this happens, and who to call, you know, everything in there. And at and, and base, it's, it's, a, it's forming a community, having mm-hmm. other people. Again, we're going back to that whole idea of communication, that mm-hmm. whole idea of mm-hmm. trust, that whole mm-hmm. idea of knowing that there is someone there who takes you seriously, who listens to you, who's not judgmental. And look what's happening in our society. I mean, look how quickly all of a sudden things have occurred vis-a-vis the LGBTQ community and, uh, you know, marriage equality and uh, work equality and all the issues that are going on right now with transgenders and look at uh, politicians who are running and winning and, you know, who are Mm. openly gay or openly transgender. I I see this segment of our society is, is very uplifting, very promising. Uh, the yes. bullying issue, for example, as you mentioned, when 
Uh, I don't want to get political, but I don't think uh, it would offend anybody to say that our current president has often been referred to as the bully in chief. And as you mentioned much earlier, Mm -hmm. when you have that at the top as an example, it makes it really tough. Um, so it is, it's up to the rest of us to, to be good examples and to show, uh, how we can care for one another and hopefully, um, do whatever it is that we need to do so that someone we know, someone we love, um, will not, uh, take that, that jump and go over the abyss. And, and I think also look at the good examples Mm -hmm now of youth standing up against gun violence, whether you agree with them or not, the community that they have created is so amazing. And, you know, you hear so much against millennials and the younger generation underneath them, and I don't know what the name is. What what is that? I don't know. I don't know, but the X generation. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) There's all these different names, and I'm like, I just know people for who they are. Um, But, yeah, the, the youth now, I mean, just like when we were talking to Sydney Brown, this young girl, here she is, her first single out is raising uh, funds. She's almost at $15,000 raising mm. money. She's Willie Brown, uh, the uh, former San Francisco mayor's daughter, raised almost $15,000 for fire victims in Northern and Southern California. This is her way of life, you know. And and we were talking to her about this. I'm like, well, what do you think about how your youth is, you know, being perceived when actually you see them Forming, rallying together as this community, and sometimes you hear all this negative, oh, kids are just, you know, attached to their phones. But I actually see these youth as being incredibly smart, um, working smart, not hard kind of people, like who really understand what has happened in the past, that they're taking the knowledge. And once you give them knowledge, they thrive. It's like giving, you know, the gremlin movie when you pour a little water, then all these gremlins pop out. That's how I feel about the teenagers that are, you know, in society that have a little bit of empowerment through education and are listened to, are heard, that they do thrive. You know, Bobby, wouldn't you say that? I mean, look at the kids right now going up and standing up for what they believe in, standing up for protection. And again, whether or not you agree with them, they're doing something, and they're doing it in a very polite way. Yes, and, you know, one thing, uh, a good percentage of the youth are very accepting. You know, when you were talking about um, the LGBTQ and just gender awareness, um, so many of the teens, it's just, I like people. I love people, Mm. you know, and just open and supportive and inclusive. So you see that so much for, I would think, the majority of the youth Mm. and for them to, you know, look at things that need to be done and step up is is. Uh, a beautiful thing, and more and more mm. is that happening. Really incredible. Like they, they feel like they're empowered. That they can't. They have a voice. They have mm. a voice, and they come together for that voice. To, you know, to make change. And they may be experiencing what my generation experienced. And now I'm going to date myself, but in the '60s, it was such a heady time for young people. We really felt, in all honesty, that we could change the world. And uh, it it brought so many people together. It gave us so much. uh, We were so optimistic about the future. We felt empowered. And uh, unfortunately, some of that didn't work out. But I have a sense that this particular generation 
as you said, watching and listening to these teenagers from the disaster a few weeks ago in Florida mm-hmm. and seeing what they had done. And because they're so savvy in the use of social media, look what they're able to accomplish. I think there's going to be a march. Is there not coming up shortly? Yeah. Uh, yeah. An, an anti, anti-gun violence march. Uh, you know, probably anti-arming teachers march. Oh, my uh-huh. I mean, mm. I just, uh, the answer is not more guns. Uh, I mean, of that uh, I am convinced of. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But at this particular moment, the, the young people that I've heard and seen interviewed about this situation have been articulate. They've been forthright. They're knowledgeable. They have their facts together. And I, in the bottom of my gut, uh, am optimistic. And I think mm-hmm. maybe as it relates to gun violence, as it relates to other issues, and certainly as it relates to teen suicide, I see all the help in the world for young people in tandem with adults helping to break the cycle of teen suicide. I do too. The, I, I do. Go ahead, Bobby. One of the things you said um, that I read on your site, Jane, which is um, the myth of that we don't talk about it because oh, that might put them over the edge. And I thought that was so powerful to really know that. No, reach out and talk to them about it. Are you thinking about it? Um, I read it was just a couple of weeks ago in the paper. A man in Japan, and there's some high cliffs. And there's a lot of suicides off there because they're high cliffs and you go into the water. And every morning or parts of the day, he spends time on the cliffs. And when he sees someone standing there, he just walks up to him and he says, it's simple, just say, hi, how are you? That's all he has to do. And he has talked so many of them off the cliff. But just that whole concept of talk about it, don't hide it. Mm. Oh, I, th- I and, think that's really true. Yeah, and if we can get to these kids, uh, other, you know, older people as well, if we can get to them before it's at the point where someone is ready to jump off the cliff, if we can talk and get help and do whatever is needed in calmer waters before things are at a fever pitch, the chances of being able to break this cycle are significantly increased. I thought for a minute when you were talking about the gentleman in Japan that you were also talking about the little parable that I use at the beginning of the book, and it's very similar. Uh, a man is walking down the river, and he there is a waterfall, and he sees a kid go over the waterfall, mm-hmm. and he jumps into the river, and he performs... Uh, you know, CPR, and he saves that person, but then there's another kid and another kid, and at a certain point, you know, he's not able to save all of them. So he decides, why don't we go upstream away from the waterfall where the waters are calm and where we can provide the tools and the skills that these people need so that they don't find themselves going over the waterfall and in a way your story or the story about the man in Mm. Japan and and that particular parable seem very similar to me Mm. and uh, you know they both make perfect sense yeah, they do. Nancy, I know you wanted to say something. I was just, you know, thinking that you don't really understand how another person feels 
without face-to-face Mm. Um, relationship. I remember my first job, uh, one of my best friends was a black girl and I'm a white girl and people were like astonished that we'd go to lunch together and talk and I, I told her about my family, she told me about hers and neither one of us came from what we'd call a really fun family. And But she kept saying to me, but I'm black and you're not. And I, I, you know, as much as I knew her, I was like, well, I don't really see how that matters. And so we went to Marie Callender's for pie, and she goes, watch. We ordered the same kind of pie, and the slice I was given was almost twice as big as hers. And she goes, that's the difference. And I was astounded. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as pie, you know, in in the 60s, you know, I thought the racism thing was long gone and and done until you live through it with somebody i couldn't believe it you know and i think that that it's really hard sometimes to get in the 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 mindset of the other person to really feel Mm. it to see and feel what it is Mm. you know so and i think that's a lost opportunity to to really Mm. help but Mm -hmm. i was always astounded at that It, it stuck with me forever that that thing where um you think you know what the other person's feeling but maybe you don't so you got to try a little harder because you're coming from your own perspective yeah not theirs Mm. that's where the mirroring comes in 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 handy jane we really appreciate you joining us on the show and uh, bobby as well thank you for being here and being part of this conversation i think it's very necessary i think uh, you both have amazing tools to help everyone uh, understand and to help uh, teens and preteens um, be empowered uh, to make those decisions and, and get those communication skills that are so needed. Again, everyone's Jane, uh, Jane's book is Dead Serious, Breaking the Cycle of Teen Suicide, again, by Jane Mursky Leader. And you can go to her website, janeleader.net, and that's L-E-D-E-R, janeleader.net. She's on Instagram at Dead Serious Books. She's on Twitter at Jane M. Leader and on Facebook as well. And, of course, her book's available in ebook and paperback on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, all major uh, bookstores online. So thank you so much for joining us, Jane. It's been, it's been a wonderful chat. I really appreciate you having me. Have a great day. You too. too. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. Take care, ladies. Bye-bye. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.